Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Practice on Fire podcast. Today, my guests are Dr. Nada Albatish and Dr. Tim Rao. Both are doctors who have intentionally focused their practice on big cases, elective dentistry, cosmetic dentistry, implants, full arch cases. So uh, today, I'm going to talk to these two about case acceptance. Um, how to get more patients to accept uh, the treatment that we have to provide. I think you'll find this insightful. I think that you'll find that we start talking about case acceptance, but find out that we're probably focused on the wrong things. Have a listen, and um, I hope you learn lots. So, Tim, this is Nada. Nada, this is Tim. I've, I've known Nada. Uh, we went to dental school together a long time ago. Long time, long time. She was first in the class. You were fourth. How'd it go? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> she was. Uh, she was a good one. And then I, um, <laughs> I, I barely passed. You did pretty good. Oh yeah, right, Mike. <laughs> um, yeah. But then, yeah, we kind of uh, have kept in touch just as friends uh, over the past few years. And then I don't know. Not a kind of out of nowhere, you became this. Uh, cosmetic guru that everyone's talking about i don't know how that happened i'm like that nada nada albatish i know her <laughs> i knew somebody famous we'll get into your story in a second but um tim and i met uh i don't know maybe five years now tim something like that yeah we met in 2014-15 time range i've learned a lot from tim in terms of i think it's really two things that that tim has a, a very unique spin on one is on uh, work-life balance. And that's something that um, I think is kind of an overused term, but I think Tim is great at really focusing on what really matters uh, way more than uh, pretty much anybody else I know in terms of what does he want in his life? How does he want to spend his time? And then how do you build your practice around getting to that point? I think that's something that I learned from Tim. And then the second thing I've learned from Tim is he's just uh, a genius in terms of getting high value cases done, you know, just the way that he can, he, he, he's, he's mastered the funnel of traffic conversion. Um, and then all the way to just clinical excellence as well. So that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about is, um, case acceptance. You know, when, when you look at this funnel of having patients, um, aware of what you offer, and then you presenting treatment to them. And then that's kind of the block that I think a lot of doctors have is how do you go from, okay, I know that I want a nicer smile. To, and then most docs end up in the, well, I'll think about it. Or let me talk to my husband or let me check my insurance. And then the treatment never gets done. So that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about. Because I know you guys are both um, doing really, really well in these areas. So let me just start by, uh, let me ask you a question, Nada. Give me your uh, 30-second philosophy, I guess, on case acceptance. Okay, so I don't even like the term case acceptance because I think it makes people sound like numbers. And my philosophy is really about understanding the patient. And I don't think that you need any, any additional tools or anything. I think your key to, to patients actually wanting the treatment that you offer is your communication. Was that 30 seconds? Yeah, perfect. What do you think, Tim? What's your what's your philosophy on case acceptance? Uh, I have none. I'm philosophy less on case <laughs> acceptance. I understand that 
the people who come into my office and are seeking my services specifically for something specific are there's only a couple potential barriers to them proceeding forward and i have tried to minimize those barriers as much as i can and whatever happens happens and what are those barriers number one by a long shot by the furthest shot is not even close as money yeah i mean you someone comes in they want they want to do the stuff i don't i don't have to convince anyone of anything they want to get the good teeth implants they want it to look right and feel right um, but can they come up with 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 um, dollars? That's a hurdle. And then the secondary, the secondary kind of potential roadblock is they want to know if you're the right person. To do that, all I have to do is be myself because if I'm not the right person, I want them gone. And if I am the right person, then we're going to get along fine. So but that's it. Okay, well, you make it sound easy, but the, the number one is huge, right? Like, how do you get past that money hurdle? There's really two ways to do it, right? One is to screen these people out ahead of time. And the second is to make it easy for them to afford treatment. For me, in terms of screening ahead of time, in my practice, we're very open about money. Um, so what I mean by that is when we talk about treatment, we give ballparks. You know, you don't want to take somebody through consultations and appointment after appointment and they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And then suddenly when you say a dollar amount, they're like, whoa. And that's something that a lot of doctors contact me about once they, once they learn about kind of providing bigger treatment. Okay, now I know how to do it. But once I explain everything to the patient, it seems all good. And then I say a price and they're like, whoa. So for me, the solution to that is just be very upfront about it. I mean, you, you don't need to give dollars and cents, but you can talk about ballparks and that at least gets the patient thinking about what's what's reasonable for them. Yeah, 100%. You can't have people coming into your chair not knowing what they're going to get into. And you've talked for 10, 15 minutes about how great it is. And then you find out there's a 0% chance they can come up with that. I mean, that's a waste of everyone's time. So I have two ways specifically that I get past this or that I qualify people so that, that, that it doesn't happen in the chair. One is, you've heard me talk about this ad nauseum, Mike, and that's virtual consults. So I'll get on and record a video for a patient and kind of run through what their potential treatment options are with ballpark figures, exactly like Matt said. I want them to know if they're getting into a $10,000 deal, twenty dollars or $50,000 deal ahead of time and what that looks like. Um, and the other way is when we, we have a lead spreadsheet that we use to manage our leads at the office, and my dental assistant, who has no sales training whatsoever, but is a good people person, she gets on the phone and makes these outbound calls and everyone wants to tell their story, right? Everyone's got a story how they haven't been to the dentist or this or that. And so she engages with them and here's their story. And she's been in dentistry for you know 30 years. So she knows what's going on. So she is qualified. I've given her my blessing to talk to these people and come up with some ballpark figures for what she thinks they might be looking at. And granted, she might be off here or there, but you know, generally speaking, it's like we have a million options. So, so she's giving people ballpark figures on the phone uh, before they even step foot in the office. So no one who comes in is surprised ever. So what do you do with that patient um, that just calls your office and says, uh, I want a new smile? Nada, what do you do? <laughs> do you, so they'll, say, they'll say, do you do cosmetic dentistry, right? I'm looking Of for course, you. right. Right. So what do you, how do so how do you handle, like, how do you know what kind of price to quote them? And, and how does your, the person answering your phone know, or are you doing that some other way? 
So in my practice, I'll tell you, you know, getting into cosmetic dentistry for me was not, I never actually marketed. And I know that sounds crazy and I totally believe in marketing. Um, so don't, don't get me wrong about that. But me being able to offer these services and having patients already routinely in my hygiene program, um, it was actually, it actually started with patients in my own practice. And the way that I like to, to tell docs to think about it is think about it way simpler. Think about it how you think about um, talking to a patient about a missing tooth. You know, there's three options, right? Uh, implant, bridge, denture. And just if you think about it in way smaller um, incre dollar increments rather than even the, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 100,000s, whatever treatment cases, it, those things are easy to talk to patients about because you literally would look at their situation and say, you know what? Yeah, you're missing a first premolar. These are the options. Bang, bang, bang. This is approximately this much. This is approximately this much. This is approximately this much. And more often than not, people want the best thing that they can afford. And that's exactly how we handle cosmetic dentistry in my practice. So it's a little bit different than Tim's because I think Tim is, is, sounds like Tim, you're, you're actively marketing for them, yes? Yeah, big time. That's that's kind of my deal a little bit. I'm probably better at marketing than I am at dentistry. Possibly. <laughs> I doubt it. You never killed any, you know, at you never killed anybody at the Facebook yet. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I have zero deaths on my track record. <laughs> okay, but I, I but I'm just trying to wrap my head around this fees thing because you get patients, I mean, you, you hear the consultants say, for example, you know, patient calls and they say, Well, how much does it take a tooth out? Right. And you have some consultants say, Well, you shouldn't quote fees over the phone. You say, Oh, you need it, you need a consultation first, and then we'll get an x-ray and blah, 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 blah. Other consultants will say, well, you quote them the very lowest possible because technically yeah. it may maybe be a tough baby tooth, right? And maybe it's going to be 50 bucks. Um, other consultants will say, well, you give them the widest range possible. But when you're doing that with cosmetic dentistry, how do you guys handle that? Somebody calls and says, um, um, I'm looking for a cosmetic dentist. How much is it going to cost? How do you screen that over the phone? I don't listen to those conversations, but if I had to guess, it would go something like this. Yes, we do cosmetic dentistry. There's a range for what that can cost, depending on what you want. The easiest thing is going to be for you to come in for a free consultation and meet the doctor and talk about your options. 100% agree. And are you guys charging for consults? Nah. Okay, so I, do, I now charge for consults. Because you're too busy. <laughs> um, I'm busy, but besides that... It's, it's one of my screening tools. Um, and I know that's totally counterintuitive and everybody tells you free consults, reduce the barrier to entry. But you know what? In my experience at this point, I know that a lot of people will do free consults and eventually do treatment. But if you're totally opposed to paying a few hundred bucks for a consult or you don't have it, you're probably not qualified for treatment. I want people that are really serious about treatment. I really, I prefer patients that already know about me. I prefer patients that even know somebody who's had treatment done at my practice because they come in and they already have a sense of, of trust and a sense of value for what I can provide them. And they pay, they pay for their consults. And you know what? Then I feel good about having my team and myself spend as long as we need to with them. I think you've hit on something really key there, Nod. And I know that Tim feels the same way just from my conversations with him in the past. But, you know, when, when you see docs on Facebook or Dentaltown always talking about their case acceptance numbers, right? What should, my, what should my case acceptance be? And they all want a percent of what their case acceptance should be. 
But the way that I think uh, we look at it is if you want to improve your case acceptance, you can either work on the numerator or you can work on the denominator. And what you guys are saying is work on the denominator. Bring that denominator down, not up, right? Have, have fewer consults, but they're higher quality consults. And I think that's something that uh, most docs miss. They just want volume, volume, volume. And then they, they're, they're afraid to put up these barriers because they're afraid they're not going to have as many consults. Right? Is that accurate, Tim? I, I think that's accurate. And, you know, I, I get it, too. You know, we all, we all got taught, uh, like Matt said, to lower the barrier to entry and to not quote fees. But there's something that you haven't touched on that both Nada and I are riding on big time, and that is reputation. You've established yourself with this reputation, and now people are seeking you out. For her, it sounds like word of mouth primarily. For me, they're seeing me on TV or they're hearing me on the radio, and so they've, they've attached my name to these services. And so they're seeking us out. So they, the people who walk in to see us, they already want what we have. They just need to understand it and get to the cost. So when we talk about, you know, this case acceptance number, I mean, emotionally, I have 100% case acceptance probably, or 90%. No one comes in and is like, oh, yeah, you know what? That's not for me. That's, or you're an asshole. Like, this, this is not what happens. It's always just a matter of how do we piece together a financial plan that works for you and a timeline that works for you. Uh, and so case acceptance to me is, it's like not a thing. It's just, hey... How do we get these people to keep moving through the process? Because these aren't these aren't people in hygiene that I'm trying to show their cracked, you know, distal marginal ridge on 19 and convince them to get a crown. I don't have to convince these people of a thing. They're coming in and telling me, yeah, I want the thing that you have. And so now it's just my job to talk them through it and sort through that. And and so to me, case acceptance, like I said, I don't have a philosophy on it. There's no philosophy for me to have. It's what financing options can we have and how do we make this process smooth? And that's a whole different conversation than what you might hear from a dental consultant or at a seminar or whatever. So, so I think the conversation is just different when you've become an authority in your space and people are seeking you out. Right. So essentially, your case acceptance is complete before the patient even comes to see you. Yeah. I mean, to some degree. Now, they might not all go for the top tier treatment, but they they want something because they don't know what the difference is between a FP1 implant, you know, full arch versus an all on four hybrid style versus dentures that snap it. They don't know, but they're going to accept something because they want they want to proceed. Right. Now, you guys are both big on reputation, but I see you guys doing it in different ways. I know Tim is big on um, TV digital ads. You've got some, what else do you have? You have books, radio. Are you doing Tim? Yeah. Radio, uh, self-published author magazines, any, anywhere where people can see my face, they're seeing it. And I think Nada, uh, my impression of what you're doing is more Facebook, but, um, not ads. It's more, you know, posting stuff and, or, um, more organic type Facebook. Is that accurate? Yeah, I do. I do Facebook and Instagram posts. It's kind of funny how that turned out. I used to do, I opened my practice from scratch. So I used to do lots of marketing. I used to try everything under the sun, right? Um, and then once I got busy, I'm probably too busy. I, it just, 
I don't, I don't know that I can handle all that load um, or that I even need to. So one thing I started doing is it, it all started with the office Facebook page, actually, because our patients would come into the office and they would follow our Facebook page. And so a lot of people that are on our Facebook page are actually patients of the clinic. And when I post what we do, it's kind of neat because there's some people that are patients of the practice that have been patients for years or even for years before I started offering some of the services. And they see some of our before and afters on Facebook and they come in asking for it. Um, and they're patients of the practice already. You know, So there's already, there's that kind of part of it. And then um, more recently, I started an Instagram account. That's been really neat too, because there are patients on there. A lot of local people see it, like if you hashtag your city. But the really crazy thing about it is there's so many dentists. It's like, it's been actually really fun connecting with, with lots of docs on Instagram um, about just all the different treatments that we do and how um, I've even got docs that have come in and, and become patients. Um, docs that have been looking for, for education on how to do these things or guidance on cases or mentorship. So it's been, it's been really multifaceted. It's cool. Really cool. So I've seen your Facebook stuff, Nada, and I think your photography is beautiful. The, the clinical work, of course, is great, but even just the photography is beautiful. Where did you learn how to shoot like that? I've taken several photography courses, um, and, and the first and probably most important that I took was with Clinical Mastery, and I brought a few of my team members with me. And it's funny because I was just at a Clinical Mastery course this weekend, and, you know, some people were showing me photos on their cell phones of patients asking me what to do with this case and that. And so we're giving everybody advice. And I said, like, okay, the, even if you don't change what you're doing in your dentistry, get a DSLR camera and take a photography course because you, the, the quality of what you're doing almost gets minimized with poor photography. And you can really, really showcase what you're doing with really nice photography. So kind of the two keys for me are, you know, getting trained and educated. Clinical Mastery has an awesome course that Lee Gary teaches now. And, and the other key in my practice has been training my team on photography. Um, I definitely take some photos on my own and I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll say I'm artistic with photography. So there's some things that I, that only my eye, like I just need to do it. But there's a lot of photography that you see in my practice that my team has actually done. Um, and they're amazing and, and people can learn. Um, and so that's, that's been kind of the key to my success with that. So I know Tim is probably the exact opposite <laughs> of you in terms of what, what's your photo set up, Tim? Tell me what, how you get your photos up on Facebook and Instagram. I have a iPhone 10 and I use Photofy and uh, maybe some Snapseed once in a while if I want to get really special on my artistic <laughs> effects. But I would be all for taking a photography class. Here's the problem. I'm not smart and I'm really bad at learning things. And so if I go take a photography class, I have to find a really good dental assistant to take who can actually learn it because my brain doesn't have room for any more stuff. <laughs> so. Right. But it works, right? What you're doing works. And I think when we talk about clinical photography and the importance of establishing yourself um, as an authority, photography plays a big part of it, but it doesn't have to be scary. 
right? I mean, great to have um, those super macro close-up where you can see the tertiary anatomy in your veneers. That's amazing. And not as right. Probably the dentists get turned on about that more than the patient. I'm I'm turned on just talking about it. (laughs) But when Tim's doing just, he's just doing a selfie with an iPhone. And I think when Tim does it, he captures just the emotion, the personality and the person, the before and after smile, where it's not meant to be a technical, it's not going to be an AACD. But um, it does the job and you can go from um, thinking I should take a picture to having it posted on Facebook probably within uh, 30 seconds if you do it with your iPhone. Yeah, it's fast. So if I was going to ask you, Tim, um, I'm a doc and I want to get into cosmetic dentistry and I hear what you're saying about you know, becoming an authority and establishing a reputation. What's the first thing I should do to start becoming uh, perceived as uh, an authority in cosmetic dentistry? Hmm. The first thing is going to be, and I'll be curious to hear what Nada has to say on this too, but I would say you need to have some cases under your belt and you need to have documented them. They, they need to be uh, photographed and that patient has to have told their story. So if you can, if you can put some photographs, full face photos are best, but you know, close up on smile is good too. And have the, in the patient's words, attached to those pictures in some way, shape, or form, and you've put those out on the internet, you've put those on the wall of your office, you've created some type of photo book that sits in the waiting room at your office, you have to create this catalog and library that's evidence that you can do what you say you can do. That's step one. So, so that's where I would start. No, You're not going to get anywhere until you can prove to other people that, yeah, these, this is the skill set I have and this is what I've done for other people. And attaching the story of that person to the... Smiles are nice, but stories make the smiles real. And that's what people want to hear. So that's step one. Yeah, so tell me more about the stories, Tim. What do you mean about attaching the stories to it? Like physically, how do you do that? What, what, what kind of format is this? Are you talking like a uh, video? Are you talking writing something? Yeah, I mean, video is best. So if you had a... <laughs> you know, even like a two minute vignette with the patient talking about how they felt before they got their teeth fixed, talking about the process of getting their teeth fixed, what, how it went, how they felt and how they feel after getting their teeth fixed. And then most importantly, what is their message for people who are thinking about getting this done? That's the, that's the kind of route that that story needs to take. Uh, if you can get this on video, I mean, that's, that's ultimate juice because that's going on your website. That's going on ads. That's going, you know, anywhere you can get it. Um, so that would be primary. Secondary would just be simply, you know, uh, print material before and after with the story. Like I said, you can put that on the walls of your office. You can send that on mailers, on postcards, on trifold brochures, in a booklet that stays in your office, uh, landing pages. I mean, you, you have to develop this library of assets that can be used and leveraged uh, to show what you do and how you do it and how it makes people feel. And so that they can put themselves in your former patient's shoes uh, to understand that process. And I know some docs, they, they understand that they need to have a library, but they don't have enough cases to start a library, right? So what I tell these docs is to focus on the patient stories and not so much on the clinical work. 
So in other words, um, I have some photos on my website of me with a patient and the patient will just write something nice about how, how great we were and how comfortable and how safe they felt and all that. And it doesn't really matter if we did um, all on four or if we did um, three crowns, right? We're not focusing, we're not saying this patient had X treatment done. We're just saying this is a happy patient that's just like you that was willing to share their story. So I think that's a great place to start is just look for patients and, and don't uh, necessarily look for the 20 unit veneer cases and have to document those, right? It could be any happy patient that you have that's willing to share their story and, and have a photo taken that starts to build that um, authority. Um, what do you think, Nada? What's the first step you would advise somebody to take if they were hoping to build the reputation as a cosmetic dentist? Yeah, so what I, what I was going to add to that was that um, I 100% agree with Tim on photos, video, and all that good stuff. But And I 100% agree with you. One thing I've run into with docs that are getting into um, doing bigger treatments and maybe just getting educated on it and just want to get started is that they don't have those cases to show. So we can talk about about all this. And it's, it's a little bit easier once you're already on a roll because you're like, yeah, I'll take a picture of every single person who comes in. And, and I've done that and I photo trained my whole team and all that. But how do those, how do those people start? Um, and I think that, you know, when I think back even to when I started and when, when some of the, the docs that have really, everything's come together for them and they've actually started doing cases that when they had none to show at the beginning, I think the most important thing um, actually comes from inside you. And I think that is confidence. And I agree with you 100% when you say you don't need to have done a 20-unit near case or be trying to sell a 20-unit near case for you to get that confidence. I, I still remember the first time in my practice when I did an equilibration. And that was years ago. And I, I followed all the technical stuff, right? I'd gone to a whole bunch of fusion courses and I understood theoretically what I had to do, where the dots were supposed to go, where the lines were supposed to go. And I, you know, nervously laid back the first patient I ever did a collaboration on. Um, and I, I did all the things, you know, and I sat the patient up, you know, and, and when the first time you're doing a collaboration, you don't even know that you're done. You're like, am I like, am I done? Do I keep going? I'll do a little more. I, you know, it's, it's really uncertain at the beginning. Anyway, so I made a decision that I was done. <laughs> and then I sat the patient up. And the most amazing thing happened in that moment. The patient goes like this, puts their teeth together, first word out of their mouth. Wow. Wow. I'm like, and I'm just like sitting there watching because I have no idea what they're going to say, you know? And they're like, wow, I can actually feel all my teeth are coming together. And I'm like, Shit, is that what I just did? Look, I didn't even know what the outcome of that was going to be. And, and I swear to you, that moment and, and my team that was with, I had a couple of girls with me in the room at the time. Um, even the way they speak about that to this day, it, it makes a difference in what I, what I think in patients accepting dentistry. Because what we're telling them is regardless of the dentistry that you choose to do, that's how you're going to feel. That's how you're going to feel. You're going to feel it's solid. You're going to you're going to be like, wow. You're going to say, I've never felt this way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like that the confidence for me personally that came out of that moment where I didn't know, I didn't even know the patient was going to feel any different. Like you know how little you're doing when you're doing a cooperation. Like you don't even know. So I think I think the biggest thing 
for brand new docs is, is learn it and do it, start small and gain that confidence. I would, I would add something to that. And that, ins- that jogged a memory for me. That confidence comes with really, truly believing in what you're doing. I know that there's dentists out there who sort of almost have a diminutive view of dentistry overall, or they don't believe that they don't believe in the life changing effects of what we have to offer. And if you don't, you really have no business messing with people's mouths in that way. Go ahead and do the fillings and extractions and crowns and cleanings. And that's all good. And there's nothing sad about that, but it's a very different thing than taking someone who's seeking life-changing dentistry, cosmetics, implants, what have you. But knowing as the doctor um, and really believing that what you're going to do is going to impact that patient's life goes a lot, goes a long way with that confidence. And for sure, patients sense that. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking to them and you're using that language that you know how they're going to feel and that it's going to change their life, and you're not blowing smoke because you've seen it how many times, 10s, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times where someone walked out of there with that wow feeling. You really believe. I mean, it's not religious in any way, but you have a strong belief in what you're doing. Uh, and that's, that's really supremely powerful. And without that belief, you're, you're going to be incredibly limited to how far you can take this. I completely agree. I'm, I'm so passionate about this. I have goosebumps talking about it. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Like, it's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of stuff on um, building a reputation and reputation often starts from confidence because if you don't believe in yourself, then there's no way in hell anybody else is going to believe in you without resorting to sales tactics and um, different techniques like that. And then the other, the other key point that I got from both of you guys is the concept of pre-qualifying patients, which is different, right? We, we've said before that the traditional way of thinking is lower the barriers, just get people in and we'll deal with them on the, when we're in the office. So if I'm the type of dentist that thinks um, just uh, eliminate as many barriers as possible, get patients in, and then we'll use our um, case presentation um, Jedi skills to trick them into doing something. Um, where should where should I start? What what's what's the first step I should take if I want to start pre qualifying patients so I'm not wasting my time and um, these consults that have no intention of proceeding? What do you think, Nana? Um, the number one most important thing that you can do if you don't want to waste your time um, or waste a patient's time with consultations that are not going to get you anywhere. Number one most important. Train your team. Train your team. These patients need to be spoken to and they need to be screened. And it doesn't need to be you 40 hours a week or 12 hours a week or how, how 50 hours a week, however literal, how much, how much you work. Um, do, you mean screening, do you mean screening them over the phone or do you mean when they first come in, they see somebody other than you? Yeah, even in your practice, I have a treatment coordinator that I've trained to have the initial conversations with my patients. Um, but even in your practice, my, my reception, I've trained every single person on my team, every, my receptionist, my assistants, um, hygiene, even my associates, every person in my practice can have this conversation. They, they all certainly can't, um, you know, maybe complete the dentistry or they're not going to be the one to kind of, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's, but they can certainly qualify the patient. Um, and, and part of that is just 
everybody knowing what we offer, everybody knowing the same things, everybody knowing what it really costs to go down different paths. And the reality is with case acceptance, and I said, I don't like that term, so I feel almost hypocritical saying it, but the reality is with it, there are a lot of different options. And a patient who doesn't want to do a full mouth rehab doesn't necessarily not qualify for any treatment. Sometimes that patient is the perfect patient for prevention. Um, and people care about themselves. Uh, most people care about themselves enough um, to, to put something into bettering their own health, whether it's prevention or, you know, full reconstruction. But that's, that's my thought on that. So if a patient wants to come in and I want to see Dr. Nada, I'm a new patient, I want to see Dr. Nada, do I get to see you or do I get screened first by somebody else? You get, well, your schedule, I schedule, I kind of stagger schedule between my treatment coordinator and me. So they'll see my treatment coordinator and I'll, and I'll see them. She'll have had the discussion initially and we have sort of a, a protocol on what our new patient interview is. Um, where we're really trying to find out what that person's goals are. Um, and I recently wrote an article in Dentaltown about this, where, you know, the goal of getting case acceptance is really getting people to understand your team to understand the patient. And you do that by knowing what their goals are. And she comes to me with this information before I ever walk in the room. So I'm never walking in blind. I walk in and I know who they are, what they, what their problem is, what they want, what they're motivated towards. Um, and there are times where, you know, the answer to that is maybe prevention. And there are times where the answer to that is, yeah, we're like, they want this whole thing. We're going to do the full shebang. And I, I have that confidence before I walk in the room of, of what that patient's going to do. And that's been a process with, with my team that's taken me kind of years to develop. And then you're charging for these consults. And I charge for consults. And then the other way is, I know Nate, or, or sorry, Tim, uh, a friend of ours, Nate, is not charging, but he's he's taking a credit card number. Um, to right. Yeah, same idea. I mean, if someone's willing to put some money on the line, then there's a good chance they're they're serious about it. Right. right. You just got to find some way of, of screening up the tire kickers, right? The people that... Yeah. Um, that um, they're probably better off finding their information. Just go on Google if they want to, if they want information, <laughs> right. if they want to, yeah. then they have to have some sort of commitment. And you're, you're pretty familiar with what we do, Mike. I mean, a lot of, most of my patients are coming in through some degree of digital marketing funnel, meaning they hit our landing page. And at that point, they're either taking a quiz or a virtual consult or some type of questionnaire. And one of the key elements of that questionnaire, one of the key questions, and I'd encourage everyone to use this in your marketing, is how ready are you to start treatment? And the choices are, I'm ready and want to start right away. Uh, I'm interested, but, but don't have a set timeline. Or C, I'm just curious, not really interested to start. And by answering that question, you, you get a, a full view of you know, how hot of a lead that is. And, and to be sure, those people who indicate that they're ready and want to get started right away are going to get a little bit more attention when we're managing our leads than those people who are, who are already identifying themselves as tire kickers. So that's, that's important. When you're getting 40, 50, 80 new patient leads coming in every month, you have to have a way to sort through them and understand who are the ones that really actually need your time and, and energy. So, you know, we started um, this conversation with the intention of talking about case acceptance. And I think one really 
um, important note that I've noticed through this conversation is um, none of you guys has in this whole time talked about what do you say to the patient, right? How do you convince them um, to get treatment done? Because it turns out that that's really irrelevant, right? If, if you're if you've got confidence in your ability to impact people's lives, if you develop a reputation as somebody that can help people, and if you can pre-qualify people, then essentially you've worked on that denominator, screened out the crap, and you've got patients mm-hmm. coming to you who are hungry and want to eat. And it's like people, people don't go to McDonald's if they're not ready to buy a Big Mac. Uh, and I think that's what you guys are doing is... I mean, don't bother coming to our office if you're not ready to buy a Big Mac. And maybe it's going to be a quarter pounder. Maybe it's going to be a combo. But you're going to buy a burger if you're going to uh, McDonald's. Yeah. And, and what's important to know here is this is a very intentional practice style. This didn't happen by accident. I had a PPO practice where we had tons of hygiene and did tons of fillings and crowns. And we're just taking care of people and doing prevention and uh, early intervention on this stuff. It's a... If someone's listening to this and that's their practice model, they for all for all I know, they might think we're speaking total gibberish here. Once you <laughs> once you commit to offering big case, life-changing elective dentistry, the whole thing's different. And so when you hear this case acceptance term, the only thing I can ever think of is how much treatment did you present in hygiene that day that the recall patients decided to go ahead and schedule. And I, I spend all day trying to talk those people out of doing treatment because it clogs my schedule from the treatment that I want to do. So there's, it's a really different world. And I think that bears uh, clarification, you know, so that, so that people understand that this, this elective dentistry that we're talking about is a whole different can of worms than um, fillings, extractions, root planing. Okay, so Tim, if people want to learn more about you and what your story is, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram, Tim the Dentist. No spaces, just Tim the Dentist on Instagram. Uh, you can get a hold of me there for sure. Message me, kind of see my story. If you're interested in the marketing that we do, uh, I work with our buddy Nate, and we have a um, little company, Dental Authority Marketing, that's specifically geared towards um, attracting those big cases to your practice. So two easy ways. And Nada, how about you? Where can people uh, learn more about you and contact you? Um, I, well, on my Instagram also, Dr. Albatish. Um, and then I have a website, dralbatish.com. And Tim, I just I just followed you on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Woo, boosting my numbers. Get a follow <laughs> back, girl. You can call yourself an influencer now, Tim. That's your new title. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Influence and nothing. <laughs> and great. So both you guys are also going to be at Practice on Fire um, talking more about um, this practice style, elective dentistry, and um, the ways to ignore the conventional wisdom and achieve uh, practice success, whatever that practice style for you looks like. Check us out, practiceonfirelive.com. Um, and we'll see you guys next time on another episode of Practice on Fire podcast.